is Random Acts of Tangent. I am Adam. There's Annie over there. Hello. Hi. We have another interview for you today. This is Rich Kilmer. He's the CEO of CargoSense, which is a logistics company uh, based out of Virginia. Uh, but we're not going to be talking about that because we have more important things to talk about, uh, like this new organization, the nonprofit he has put together. It's called trackmytemp.org. Uh, and it's a company, it's a website that people go to, people like you and me, uh, or or you, listen. I count as a person? Yeah. Even though I'm a woman? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> of course you do. You count as uh, two people in this house. Uh, so you go to the website, you enter your in, your temperature uh, that you take on a daily basis, or, or even hourly. They allow it up to hourly if you, if you would like. And this goes into a giant database that researchers and, and doctors and planners of all kinds can download it. <laughs> and this is how we create models, like the models we have for the coronavirus and the possibility of the spreading and everything. These models are based off of data. Uh, this is a form of data that they do not have in big supply right now. So this is going to fill a gap in that information that could change the world. Got to get the word out there, get people to participate. Yeah, it's super simple. I, I, we talk about it on the podcast. It, it took me all of maybe 30 seconds, the, the entire process. And Our thermometer takes like a minute and a half to finish at your okay. temperature. So right. just just saying, probably right. a total of two minutes. Okay, well, after you take your temperature and then you log in, it takes less than 30 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> uh, as far as you taking your temperature, totally up to you. I mean, I don't know how far into this project he is, but does he have it? Uh, it's, does it's, he it's have l- it like... It's live now. The, the yeah. website is already live. People can be doing this. They've been doing it since the beginning of April, I believe, is uh, when it started. Uh, and it's, it's on a more personal basis. When you log in and you record your temperature, you're given uh, a specific website that you bookmark it and you go back into it. So it keeps updating your temperature constantly. Uh, so everybody does it and everybody helps. It, it, it costs nothing. It does ask for your location and it asks for what kind of thermometer you're using. And your age range, because those are important stats for yeah, absolutely. The, the modeling. Yeah. I guess you could run into, sorry, thinking out loud, what? Oh. privacy concerns if you were doing it with a company. Okay. This is something we talked about on the podcast, which blew my mind. Uh, th- so much thought went into this as far as privacy and possibilities of how this can be misconstrued or abused that they, they have everything covered. The, the, as far as your location goes, based on where you are, if it's like a rural area, it zooms out and like, oh, they live around in this 25-mile area. But if you're in like a city, it's within this two-mile area. Oh, because of the – so basically based on the density of the population. Yes. We're going to make sure that you are within a certain population span. Exactly right. And uh, it, it's important scope. to know those kinds of things. Yes. Scope is the word. Yeah. I got there. <laughs> I got there eventually. Right. Yeah. Because anybody could download this. And, and yeah. that's the thing. And that's why they took so much time and effort into the privacy concerns and whatnot. And now it sounds like I'm doing a commercial. Uh, it just, it's, like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just very informative. Commercials it, it, aren't like that. It's just something that I, I – once I learned about it and looked into it, and asked, especially after talking to Rich, it's, I feel strongly about it. It's something simple that can be done, and it, it takes nothing away from you. They've taken so many precautions that I wouldn't even thought about. And we, we joke about, about some of them on the podcast, which is pretty cool. Uh, this, he's, a, he's a very, very smart man. He went to a lot more school than I did, as, uh, <laughs> as Tim Conley would say. It's, uh, and a lot of the time when he's speaking, I feel – I was listening back to it and I'm just kind of like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, right, yeah. You sound like maestro. <laughs> That's – yeah, okay. Uh, probably accurate. He, everything he was saying to me was, uh, was engaging. It was interesting. I, I was just soaking it all in and I, I 
couldn't say much because I couldn't communicate on the level he's able to communicate because he's, like I said, he's brilliant. And uh, I'm just a podcaster. <laughs> I totally should have sat in on this one. I'm really good at faking it. Okay. <laughs> no, this, faking smart. Oh, right. Oh, okay. You know what? Just cut all of that that's, part out. That, that doesn't, no, you know. That's definitely yeah. his thing in now. All right. Uh, so go to the go to the website uh, uh You will learn more about it uh, through the podcast, which uh, we'll play for you in just a minute. Uh, but there's something I want to start doing now, to be, and, and all these intros. Uh, I want to start taking these track my temp because I've downloaded the information. It's Creative Commons uh, licensing, so uh, it, it can be used by anybody for for any purpose. Uh, which is why they did all the privacy things to make sure that it doesn't get used in bad ways. Yeah. So I'm going to use it in a fun way. I think. Uh, a little competition. I'm going to ha- start uh, having and announcing for every intro. What is it? Uh, I'm going to give you the states in order of how much they're participating. So we can- oh, level participation. Dang it. I thought I was going to get to like guess things oh. and win prizes. Well, okay. Out of the 50 United States that we have here in America, yeah. who do you think is the most involved as of right now? I'm going to assume it's California since that's where he's based and probably no, been able to get the word out. Oh, well, then I'm going to go with D.C. Okay. Uh, I shouldn't it's have talked you out of that. It's California. It's number one. Oh, what the <laughs> hell, Adam? California's number one. Followed, uh, tied for second is Virginia, North Carolina, and Texas. Followed by Colorado, Wisconsin, Louisiana, Nevada, Washington, Connecticut, Illinois, Maryland, Michigan, New Mexico, and Pennsylvania. That's it as of right now. I really thought you were just going to go into the Animaniac song after that. <laughs> you got into a bit of a no. rhythm there. <laughs> but this, I think this will be a fun thing yeah. that as time progresses, we're going to see how much this is spreading. And uh, I'd like to... Get... This spreading being the participation within the website. The, yes. The usage of trackmytemp.org. Not the, the spreading <laughs> There's of anything There's other things else. spreading, so that I clarify. Understood. Yes. <laughs> now, th- th- these are the uh, based on people actually going to the website and entering data, which we can see. You could download it by country. There's a, a bunch of other countries that are also involved. Oh. The, the next one below us is Brazil, and then it's kind of like a tie for everybody else. Interesting. People need to get on board with this. I haven't heard anything about Brazil as far as being at the, anywhere near the top on the, the COVID stuff, so they must be doing something right. And they're kicking ass uh, yeah. as far as other countries. I mean, we're, yeah. kick, we're kicking their asses. but uh. We're kicking their asses <laughs> as far as the number of deaths and the okay. massive spread rate, but... All right. You know, anyway, this information, number one. This information is based <laughs> off of uh, the data that I pulled. Uh, this is as of April 12th. So we're, we're going to keep this up, and we're going to keep going for future intros just to kind of see how this is going. I'm hoping these numbers jump drastically after the release of this podcast because uh, we've reached millions of people. What is that? In their hearts. Oh, yeah. In my mind, we reach millions of people. <laughs> as far as the actual data sets go for that, eh. Don't look into it. You yeah. know what? The, don't Google it. Just trust me. This is facts. We have don't Google it. definitely broken at least a baker's dozen. So we'll see... <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to give a special shout out to uh, to Ina from King Queen for uh, setting this up, getting me in touch with, with track my temp. Yeah, it, it's it's fantastic, and it, like it, it's there's a lot of COVID talk. I'll tell you that right now. There's a lot of uh, COVID nineteen talk throughout the podcast, uh, and it's information that was nice to have for me. It was it was nice to talk to somebody that actually knew what they were talking about, <laughs> which is uh, which is cool. Instead of just assuming things, nothing. I read things. Yes, you read. So anyway, uh, it's also a long podcast. We should probably uh, cut this intro. <laughs> so. All right, then. Maybe cut the part then about I read things. Yeah, that's fine. Who cares? So anyway, thank you, Rich, uh, for, for doing this. And uh, let's get into the conversation. Wait. Oh. Thank you, Rich, for sharing your wealth of knowledge. Oh, my God. <laughs>
I should take that out, but I'm going to leave it in. Anyway, all right, here we go. This podcast already in session. How long have you guys been on, on lockdown in Virginia? Oh, goodness. Um, just a couple days. Uh, uh, actually, it was about a, a week after the president announced it, um, our, our governor did. So after he announced the, 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 the emergency. Um, so um, it was just like the second second week of March, I think. That first week of March, um, I had to take a trip, actually, um, out to uh, American Airlines, of all things, in Dallas at headquarters. So then we were flying back from, from there. Uh, Kristen and I both ended up having to be there. And we were flying back. And it was that next day, I guess the 5th, that he made the announcement. And it was the, uh, I believe the the 13th that our governor locked down. It was early. Okay. The 13th is I mean, when I found not it. Not as early as the Bay Area. What's that? Uh, uh, go ahead. No, I was just saying not as early as the Bay Area. The Bay Area was first, right? They were one of the first people to lock down. Yeah. Yeah, the, and, the 13th is when I found out that my, uh, my daughter's schools were being uh, shut down for, uh, originally it was a five-week period. Uh, since then, it's now the rest of the year. Uh, but I don't think we went into lockdown until the 23rd is when like the safer at home thing kind of actually really started taking off. Uh, right. Maybe it was 18th. I don't know. It was somewhere around that time. Yeah. So we're, we're um, and, and my daughter was in college. And so I just brought her back from spring break and a week later I had to go pick her up for the semester. <laughs> You know? And then, then they said, oh, by the way, we're not coming back in, so you have to come get our stuff. And then, and then that was actually when the governor locked us down. And then they said, yeah, you can't come to get the stuff. So basically, anything that's in the room is going to stay in the room. Oh, wow. Until you, yeah. So her, her dorm room is uh, locked down as well, and we can't get her stuff from there. Wow. Did you have any indication, or I guess, when did you, if ever, uh, did it start kind of sinking in that this is – much bigger than we're being led to believe in, in the beginning stages, at least. So I've been following this actually since early January. Okay. Um, I, I, I was um, reading these stories out of China. So we, we work with a lot of hardware companies um, that build sensors and stuff like that for shipping. And one of the companies we worked with said, Hey, have you heard of this thing happening in China? And I said, what thing? And they said, well, we have a manufacturing facility in Wuhan. And I said, okay. And they're like, and it's shut down. And I said, oh, what does that mean in so far as us getting equipment, right? That's what we were, I didn't know what was going on. And they said, yeah, it's, um, it's, it's kind of like SARS back, you know, they're worried about that, you know, it's, it's kind of this virus. And, and so I started reading as much as, you know, you get these kind of bits and there wasn't a lot of information. And then after people started posting the stats of how many people were infected, I'm watching this. Of course, in parallel with this, we're impeaching the president, right? right. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm watching, and I'm in D.C. area. So we're, I'm watching both of these things kind of in parallel happen. We, we're running this impeachment, and I'm watching these numbers every day. And, and uh, you know, the deaths were there, and, and it was like, wow, this, this seems to have a higher death rate. It was like, a, I think it was at the time, it was like 3%. And I'm like, wow, that's, that's really high. And then all of a sudden they started publishing the number of people in hospitals. That was 15%. Okay. That number's crap out of me. Cause I'm, I'm talking to my friends who are like nurses and stuff. And I'm like 15% of the U S population 
I mean, if, if it's a percent of the U.S. population, that's a lot, right? I mean, we have 327 million people. So, you know, <laughs> but 15% needing hospitalization in a short period of time, I was saying before even, you know, the, the president, you know, uh, uh, did his thing where he stopped flights coming in from China. Um, I, I was freaked out. I mean, I was, I was just freaked out about this thing. And it, then it hit Korea. So, you know, it came into Korea. We had a couple of cases up in the Washington state area. And, um, but, but my biggest concern was the, was the hospitalization and, and what, it, you know, it looked like around 15% of the population got it. And it just, anyway. Yeah. So. I, I remember hearing about it earlier on, but not paying too much attention about it. And then once things started really picking up, uh, I, I think it wasn't until, and I, I was very late to the party here. Like when, when when I found out that my daughter's school was getting shut down, that's when I was like, oh, okay, this seems uh, more real than I had let myself believe up until that point. Uh, and yeah. so everything kind of just turned slow motion and then it got into, all right, now I got to start fixing things. And uh, that day even, coincidentally, we were having um, uh, my girlfriend's parents over uh, for dinner and we were going to, all right, let's, let's cook something for them. Let's go to the store, pick up some steaks. And we get to the store and it's, shelves are already barren the line is all the way down the aisle you're like oh my god <laughs> we just found out the schools are getting shut down and, and now the stores are uh, it's a ghost town it was yeah it all happened very fast uh in my area anyway it did i think it did nationally i think that the amount of uh of meats that are sucked out of the stores and put into people's freezers um was enormous so we're gonna be an interesting thing where you know, the meat is starting to kind of refresh in stores now. It's like you go there and there's like meat. It's yes. not like it used to be, but, you know, it's there. And and then um, I think what's going to happen is you're going to see this. Um, uh, you're you're going to see this um, lag between people buying meat. Yeah. So it's like really hard for the supply chain to kind of figure this out because, you know, they, they, they're like, okay, well, it emptied out. We got to fill it up with, you know, but the meat can only be there for what, five days or something like right. that? Six, like three. And so then if people don't buy it because they have all this meat they're going through in their freezers and stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's, it's just going to be a very uh, difficult time for supply chains to keep up with. And of course, it's, I mean, there's still no toilet paper in the stores. I, I think that's just starting to get uh, reconciled. I saw an article this morning that said that the reason they're not manufacturing toilet paper is they can't get pulp across the Southern border from Mexico to here uh, because of frictions. And so without pulp, we can't create toilet paper. So that was actually a a supply chain issue. Um, Interesting. Yeah. So, you know, it all, so we we need, we need our toilet paper. Yeah. It was a couple days ago. I actually saw some on the shelf for the first time in in like two or three weeks. And I was like, Hey, look at that. That's, it's it's seeing like a unicorn. Uh, uh, (laughs) In in real life, that's that's happening. (laughs) And it's only like fifteen dollars a roll. It's right. great, <laughs> high demand, man. Right. Well, it's I I didn't want to do any of that. The, the panic buying. Where I, I saw it there. I didn't want to buy everything because I'm I'm fine. I don't I don't need a a whole bunch. I I got enough to last me for yeah long enough. I don't need to feed yeah. it frenzy. Uh, but anyway, uh, let's talk about uh, possible prevention uh, or when 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 could we uh, have acted or when should we have acted. And what steps should we have taken? Uh, should it have been in January right away that we should be at this whole safer in place thing? No, I, I mean, the, the thing was, and I do believe that there was misinformation coming out of China. I think that China 
was trying to control what was happening. I mean, China depends heavily on, uh, you know, foreign trade and everything else like that. I mean, as much as um, you want everyone to be open and honest about what's going on, that's not what the Chinese government is, you know, yeah. I'm just brought um, and, you know, their approach to handling this is, was draconian. Um, uh, we, we can get into that, but, uh, you know, what they did in order to stop the propagation of that virus in Wuhan was something we in Western democracies cannot do. Um, right. and, you know, uh, but, but anyway, the thing is you, you, you kind of damned if you are and damned if you don't, if you, if you try and act like that. Um, and, and you do something, um, and it doesn't pan out to be a big deal then what, right? Everyone's yeah. like, Oh, you screwed up. And if you don't do it. And so I, I think that hindsight's always 2020 in this instance. Um, I think that certain things could have been done and it would have had major effects. Like the, the stat I heard that if they would have locked down New York one week earlier, they could have, um, saved half the people that passed away. Oh, wow. Numbers like that really freak you out um, because, you know, the, the, they celebrated the Chinese New Year in New York City. And and that was mm. right when this thing was there. I, I had a friend of mine that was in New York um, in early March, um, you know, uh, and um, ended up, he lives here in Virginia, ended up having it when he came back. Didn't know that. But, oh, wow. But from being up in, in Manhattan. And um uh, his wife got it. His kids didn't think goodness, but they locked down in their homes and went through it at home. He said it was the worst thing he's ever experienced as a sickness. He would wow. wake up every morning coughing up blood. He was coughing so hard at night. Um, and uh, and that's the the, <laughs> the the symptoms you have. Few people have nothing. 90% of the people get a fever. Then you get this you know, 10% that have some level of this dry cough and, or it gets worse until the point where they can't breathe, right? They feel like they can't breathe. And then if those people, when you get hospitalized, some number of them truly can't get air. And I I heard a, a recent thing that said, you know, the way, the way blood comes into your lungs, you know, it kind of picks up oxygen on the way through and it comes, goes back out your system. Right. That's kind of the way it works. Right. That the blood is going through the lungs and coming out without oxygen. So the oxygen isn't transferring to the blood. There's something in the way the virus is preventing the oxygen from transferring into the blood. So you feel like you're not getting enough oxygen. Oh, you feel interesting. Um, and terrifying, right? Like it's like, um, and, and that's, and then those are the people that go really downhill and need the ICU innovation, the, and, you know, and, um, and, and, and that, um, but, but still it, we thought that these were just people that were maybe older or had pre-existing conditions or health conditions, but I know people that are very healthy, younger, right? I mean, in their forties, fifties, you know, from an age perspective of what they said, you get it extremely healthy, like triathletes boom, like they, they, they can't breathe. Like it's, so there's a genetic component of this that we don't know too, <laughs> of who it is. Um, but yeah, uh, it's, um, it's pretty rough, uh, for that, um, percentage, which is why they said we need to flatten the curve, right? We need to, we need to slow down the spread of this thing to slow down when that 
you know, six, 8% need to be in a hospital. We have to delay it, which is what they meant by flattening the curve. It's not that we're preventing the virus from going through the population. We want to slow the spread of the virus. So it hits different parts of the population. It does it such that the prior people that were in the hospital are out. So it makes room for the next set. That's literally what these lockdowns are to do. We're not going to, I believe, prevent the population from getting the virus. I think we're just going to slow down the spread of the virus to a manageable level. So you you think it's going to have to go through everybody in order for this to get past us or for us to get past it, that eventually everybody would have have gotten it and gotten over it. Just that we're going to take turns like, all right, this week is me. Uh, I, I volunteer myself as tribute uh, to go to get the virus this, this week. And then the next week is somebody else uh, until we're all done. Or do you, do you think we'll get a vaccine before that? Well, I don't. Well, so as of yesterday, the CDC published a new study that's actually I mean, I've only seen a couple of tweets about this, but um, they, they, there's this, there's a number in, in viral uh, in, in epidemiology where it was in the movie Contagion. So remember that movie Contagion that came out? By the way, if you haven't seen Contagion, you should watch it because it's worse than what we're experiencing. So there's a point in which you kind of watch the movie and say, well, it could be this bad. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> So it's kind of like therapy a little bit. You can watch it because contagion that that virus was a higher killer than this one was. Um, but but when um, there's there but there's a number um, in in the way in which a virus propagates, it's called R zero or not, and that number represents how many people would contract the virus from somebody who's infected. It, it just describes how infectious the disease is. Okay, and if if it's if it's a number near one or less than one, it won't propagate population. Like I get it, I give it to one other person. It just doesn't it doesn't spread. Yeah. Um, that this virus coming out of Wuhan, they expected or they the WHO calculated to be two point seven, closer to three in some models, which sound is is bad. So this is where you get your exponential growth. One yeah. turns three, turns to nine, turns to twenty seven. Yeah. Right. Because that, that's that's the way the the, the math works out. Um, so each person is is infecting three other people. Yesterday, the CDC published a study out of Los Alamos National Labs that this infection ratio or the infection number, the R not number for this virus, is five point seven. That's that's a lot more than two point seven. Uh, yeah, well, and, and if you think about it, it goes from one to roughly six to 36. Yeah. And I can't do math after that, right? right? Like, <laughs> like it's, 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 it's incredibly, incredibly contagious. Um, and, and here's what, here's what the contagious number represents when it comes to, is it going to need to burn through the population in that sense? Right. Um, there's a term called herd immunity. And I guess we don't like to think of ourselves as a herd, but people who uh, inoculate us against, you know, flu and everything like that, these vaccines we get, um, our medical professionals treat us as a herd. We're a big population. We're a herd. All herd immunity, uh, immunity means is that not every person is immune, but enough of the herd is immune 
to overcome the R naught number for whatever the virus is or whatever the infection is. And so even if the R naught number is three, as long as 50% of the population is, um, is uh, either had the virus, right? Or, is, or, or um, has, has, a, has a vaccine. As long as half of them are, then it won't propagate because it won't hit enough people statistically to propagate. Right. So the, um, my, my cat's saying hi. Um, <laughs> but the, um, the, with, with a, with a 5.7, that number goes to 85%. So 85% of the herd needs to be immune to it. Hmm. Either through a vaccine or having had it, before it will stop being contagious within the herd. Do you have any idea where the where the R not number comes from? Is is it based on the case studies or, or how it's spreading in certain yeah. areas? Yeah. So the study published out of the CDC yesterday is a really long paper that they studied the actual numbers out of Wuhan, the actual raw numbers, and they're like, this is not a two point seven. This is a five point seven. Okay. Well, but would, could that number change based on how we're now reacting to it? Uh, with all the, the shelter in place and the social distancing and whatnot, what, would that have an effect on the numbers? Well, it, it has an effect on how fast it spreads. It doesn't have an effect on how far it spreads. Okay. You, in other words, um, you know, we have a very large population. We have population dense areas, and um, there are these waves that happen in these. In these, by the way, I knew nothing about virus propagation until like three weeks ago. So <laughs> I've just been, um, for various reasons, having to read a lot on this stuff. But, you know, these, the, you have this peak that's happening right now and it's starting to drop. And people talk about, we may have another one, right? Oh. And I don't mean another one like in the fall, which is likely. But if, if this virus, like a lot of uh, coronaviruses, is affected by the heat of the summer, you know, like influenza season is in the in, in the Northern hemispheres in the winter months. And then it starts dropping down because as our bodies get warmer and as we're in the sun, viruses don't propagate as well. Right? right. So that's why we don't get as sick during the summer and stuff like that. And we have vitamin D, all that stuff helps us. So um, the Southern hemisphere right now is not seeing the kind of spread of the coronavirus uh, the, uh, of this, this um, SARS-CoV-2, as they call it, it's the SARS coronavirus two. So it's the second SARS derivative. That's what this is. Um, it's like SARS 2.0. Okay, know. the sequel. It's the sequel of SARS. Right. Um, and uh, but the um, uh, that that what will happen is is if if it is susceptible to the heat and we stop seeing the spread because of heat here, where's it going to go? Southern Hemisphere, mm-hmm. where it's now winter. Yeah. Right. And then it'll swing back up. And that's what happens with influenza. It basically moves back up and down the northern to the southern hemispheres. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, they project uh, between like now and, and August. And these projections, which come from these models, which they keep modifying every other day. Yeah. In an extreme degree, by the way. Uh, I mean, today's model... So the government has a model that it's using. It comes out of Washington State. Um, and I'll, the, the name of the model is called 
the University of Washington's Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation, IHME. Um, and that model, just to give you an idea of, of what that model um, looks like, I was looking at it earlier, see if I can find it here. So the model, that model predicted that the number of cases of uh, the total number of cases that we were going to get in the United States by August was 267 or 262,000 cases. I'm sorry, that's the number of hospital beds needed at peak. So let's look at that number. The number of people that would need to be hospitalized at peak would be 262,000 people by April 15th, right? So it's like April 9th. On that was that was published on April second. That was what seven days a week ago. Yeah. And three days later, they revised the number to one hundred and forty thousand. Right yeah. down from two hundred and sixty-two thousand, and and now the number is um, ninety-four thousand. So, yeah. So these numbers are going down and these numbers are and like the number of deaths estimated, um, you know, was was originally um, trying to find the number of that. It's kind of the, the, the morbid statistic out of these things. Um, the number of of total deaths was originally projected to be at ninety three thousand, um, you know, through this through August. And then it was revised three days later to 81,000. And then today, um, it was revised to be um, 60,000. Okay. So, I mean, I, I know that sounds like it's getting better. It's still terrible, right? But um, Right, yeah. <laughs> That's still a lot of deaths. But, you know, you're, you're literally almost, uh, what, like now, you know, uh, two-thirds of the original number a week ago? And the question is, how on earth is what it? What, but we're making policy decisions based on these numbers. These models are driving policy decisions. Remember how everyone said we're going to run out of these ventilators? We're yeah. not going to have enough ventilators in the United States? Good. So, um, interesting number on the ventilators, because when that started up and they said, gosh, we need a lot of ventilators, I looked at the stats on that. The UK has 5,000 ventilators. The entire United Kingdom has 5,000 ventilators. Hmm. The United States has 100,000 ventilators. We have a lot of ventilators. Now, they said we needed a lot more, but it ends up that we don't, that we actually have enough. And this whole thing, everyone was freaking out and said, we need to produce more ventilators and you know, um, everyone was freaking about that, but you don't hear it anymore. And the reason you don't hear about it is, oh, we don't need as many as we thought because it's not going to peak like we thought it was. And well, how much of that is based off of the the reactions and this it, everything shutting down kind of earlier? All of, it was, all of the original numbers were predicated on it all shutting down. Oh, wow. Could go. Huh. Most of everything was already shut down. So the, the issue is the, the actual models, they're, they're gathering more information and they're updating their models. Models are only good as the data that they've got, right? Mm-hmm. And, and what they're trying to do is look at the number of cases where we've tested and it's positive versus the number of cases that are negative versus, 
all of these numbers, the number of beds there are in hospitals, the number of people there are in a certain area, there's a lot of variables in this stuff. And these models are very complex mathematical models. But slight changes in your assumptions dramatically change how the numbers come out. Yeah. You know, uh, was it uh, Governor Cuomo said uh, today, he said, we have five models we're using. And it's safe to say that every single model is different. Yeah. But that's what they got. I mean, all they have is this mathematical projection, these models. I mean, these are super smart people working on this problem. So it's not that. It's they'll have a lack of information. They have a lack of where the virus is. How, how far is it actually spread? I mean, my friend down in his house here in, in Virginia, who likely had this, didn't go get tested because he said other people need to get tested. He fought through it at home. Wow. But right now, that's not a recorded case. Oh, so how, Right? So how many unrecorded cases do we have? This is the number that people don't know. Yeah, I, I, was, I was hearing a stat today that uh, it, numbers could also be semi-inflated from this, that uh, if somebody is suspected to have the COVID virus or is confirmed to have it, and then a death occurs, it automatically gets chalked up to COVID, regardless of everything else that was happening. That's the number of deaths that occur from it. Um, they say that it's a, it can be a... Um, that that may not be the primary cause, right? The primary cause could be, you know, something else. Well, that's like saying, you know, um, I didn't die of old age. I died of pneumonia. Well, yeah, pneumonia killed me, but, you know, I was going to be, you know, it's usually something like that at the end. Right. Um, but why did you get the pneumonia? What, okay. Why did you, why did, you know, the, the thing that actually kills you is one thing, but the thing that, you know, if you were fine the week before, and then all of a sudden you're in the hospital and you're on an inhaler and you pass away. The thing that you die from may be a certain specific thing, a uh, heart failure or something like that. All they're saying is if a person was tested positive for COVID, it's likely that the reason that they, that this occurred is because of that. That's all. Yeah. And I think that that's probably the right way to try and count it. But that's the problem with models is you've got to have these, okay, based on the number of deaths that are being attributed to COVID in these different states, which all could have different types of statistics they're reporting, uh, how do we take that number and extrapolate it if we think it's, say, 1% of the people who um, pass away from this, or sorry, 1% of the people who get infected with this are going to pass away. If we're at 10,000 people that are that have that have died in this country from this, I mean, we're hard, right? I mean, I don't know exactly where we are today. Um, I had this up here. Um, we're at uh, 16,000 in the United States right now. So you just do some math. And if you say 16,000 and you multiply that times 100, you're at 1.6 million people. So if 16,000 people have, are, have died, even though we say that the number of cases um, in the United States is around 467,000. Um, those are the number of people that have been tested and positive. There may be as many um, as many as 1.6 million if you look at it statistically, right? Because we have this many people. Now, if in fact more people have passed away or will pass away from this, 
that number of infected could be far higher. So that's the problem is we don't know who's infected. And if you think about this, if, if 80, 90% of the people have a fever and that's it, would you even register? Okay. You know, and that, huh. that's the problem that that's the thing that we looked at in the beginning of all of this, <laughs> when um, just after the president made this announcement, I was at home. I just flown back, like I said, from, from Dallas. And uh, so on Sunday and I'm talking to my coworker and I was like, if there was just a way we could measure some kind of measure people could have in their homes, it would help because if we're all locked in our houses, you're not going to know if people get sick because they're not going to go to the hospital if they've got a fever. Like your doctor's going to be like, stay home. And this is what will happen in memory at the beginning. Like I have a cough, stay home. Like you can't breathe, go to the hospital. Right. Um, But, but it was, it was like, you know, it was really that kind of cutoff. And so all those people that went through that kind of fever hump, that could have been COVID-19. Yeah. Because I feel like probably one of the more dangerous places right now is the hospital where everybody's going there. Uh, People that are freaking out, thinking they have it, maybe they do have it. They're crowding the hospital and they're now around a bunch of other people that they could be spreading it to that are all likely susceptible to catching something. Well, so um, hospitals set up protocols where, and this is actually what happened in New York, you know, the comfort, the comfort that ship that sailed into Harbor there. Yeah. Um, our, our mobile hospital, I think it's like 10,000 beds. It's amazing or something like that. Um, they moved in there to treat non-COVID patients. They're separating those that are COVID positive in hospitals from those that are not. The people that would normally be treated in a hospital are being treated in other places to, to keep a separation between those two. Yeah. So they're, I mean, you know, our healthcare system is trying to do that right. Um, but you know, I had a, a friend of mine early in this time frame is his grandmother slipped and, and um, broke her hip and she had to go to the hospital. He got there. He couldn't go in. They, they weren't allowing anyone in. I mean, she had to be treated. So she was allowed in, but no one else was allowed in. So they, they, you, one of the sad realities of this is the people that get this, they go to the hospital. You can't go with them. Right. Yeah. That's, that's, that's the most heartbreaking thing. Cause, and I think it's a good motivator for other people to kind of take all the precautionary measures because if, if you catch it or if uh, God forbid your child catches it, you can't be in the room with them. And that's, I, that's, no. I, I can't, I can't fathom. So it, it, I think it helps me maintain a more focused level of just precaution. Cause I, I, I can't imagine doing that. I feel like I would, probably get arrested trying to rush into the room yeah i mean i don't want to be a, a downer but i mean but these are the these are there's self-interest there's it's self-interest right there's a selfish aspect of this and and what's what what's kind of good about this is if you take it seriously and i think we all do at this point but i mean there's still people that are like it's not as bad as they're making it sound and stuff like that but by and large people are taking this pretty seriously and you know with that it is that it's like, I don't, I don't want to be cut off from my, my loved ones, or I don't want to, um, I don't want to have my, my aging parent get it from me. Right. Like, you know, there's, there's lots yeah. of, of ways in which you're like, I don't want to be around people because I don't want to do this. And so I'll physically distance myself from people. It was funny. They called it social distancing in the beginning. It's still used the who came out and said, let's call it physical distancing. Well, that hasn't caught on. 
Oh. The reason they wanted to do it is, you know, they don't want you to be socially distant from people. They want you to be right. physically distant from people. Um, yeah, it's weird. I, I've been more social with uh, people, fans, uh, family and friends in the past two weeks than I have been in a very long time. We're, we're, yeah, I'm a lot on of with, with everybody these days, and it's, it's like, oh, we're catching up. We haven't hung out like this in a very long time. So we're being yeah. very social. Yeah, and, and I think that it's, um, you know, we, I guess it makes us think about all the busy stuff we do, all the random stuff we do to fill time. Yeah, and it's the other people, <laughs> and and now now that those other things are gone, the other people are all we got. Yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. And, uh, and, and I, I I actually think that that, that is something that it's a positive thing. I mean, people are connected. If this would have happened twenty years ago, oh man, um, you know, thirty years ago, there's no internet. Right. There's, there's, there's no way we can, we couldn't have this kind of, I mean, I guess we could do it over the telephone, right? I could have dialed you with my rotary dial phone right. and, <laughs> uh, or my big brick uh, cell phone. right? <laughs> but uh, you know, we could have done a recording like that and it could have been broadcast on a radio station or on a ham radio or something. Yes. The CVs. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. CVs. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, but 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 it, it's happened at a time where, first, the entire population of the planet is focused on one thing, which we've never had. Yeah. Even in world wars, we haven't had. There were countries that weren't involved in those. We called them world wars, but there were countries that weren't involved in those. Not directly. True. But this affects every country in the world, every people in the world. And it makes it very interesting. Um, I talked about herd intelligence, uh, herd, uh, herd immunity before, um, and uh, one of our um, one of one of our, our, our shareholders in my company, one of our investors, he said, "We his name's Will Toby. He's an amazing guy. Teaches at Harvard. He said uh, we don't we don't have herd uh, immunity right now, so we need to depend on herd intelligence." Huh. Right. All right. That's what we're seeing. You know, we, we have, you know, Google with Verily creating things. We've got, you know, people trying to create different things to try and help. We've got people working on, on um, you know, trying to find vaccines for this virus. You know, Bill Gates announced that he was going to put billions of dollars behind funding uh, seven different approaches to trying to find, a, a, you know, um, um, vaccines for coronaviruses. And he only expects two of them to work. Like he's going to throw away billions of dollars in the effort, but at the end, he's going to save a lot of misery. And, um, you know, and so you've got all these people, um, Jack Dorsey at Twitter saying he's going to put a billion dollars behind this. And, you know, it's just, it, it, there's a lot of people that are, that are trying to say, okay, we, this affects all of us. And by the way, even if that's a selfish reason, right? Like you, the economy, we all want the economy to work. We all want jobs. We all need to get paid and be able to do things. And so there's a selfish aspect of like, we want the economy to work. I want a job. I need to make money and, you know, and, and, and eat and stuff like that. So there's a selfish reason for this, but there, but there's a lot of, of selflessness going on too. A lot of people are giving a lot. They're, they're investing their time, their energy, their, their money um, to try and fix this problem in whatever way they can. And I think that that part of it, um, which is not really reported because it's just not enough report, you know, reporting that can go on 
is under is undervalued. Um, but you know, I think that we as a species uh, have never had a, a threat like this. Right, and uh, along the same kind of vein of what you were talking about is uh, everyone's trying to give something, and if, uh, if you have nothing financially that maybe you can give, uh, what you're putting together is something that people can do without spending any money. Uh, you yeah. have the, the track my temp. That's how people can give their contribution, uh, and just it's a simple, small little thing, but you believe it can have a, a giant impact. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it's it's interesting. So um, that that day, I was talking to my coworker about what we could do. Um, we realized that that there is a sensor in everyone's home that if if the leading indicator of infection of this and many other types of flu or a fever, and this happens with influenza, it happens with Zika, it happens with Ebola, all these things we hear about, right? These 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 um, epidemics, or in this case, a pandemic. Um, the leading indicator of that is a fever. Your body is fighting an infection. We all learn about that in, in, in health class, you know, in biology. Yeah. When your body is fighting an infection, it raises its temperature because viruses don't like hot environments. So they, they don't propagate as well in hot environments. So your body defends itself by first raising its temperature. Now, um, your thermometer is how you tell your temperature and your thermometer in your home that you buy today, these little digital thermometers that cost, you know, six bucks. If you can find them right now, (laughs) they're hard to get. Um, But if you have kids, you probably have a thermometer, you know, because you know, you needed it when your doctor said, well, they have a fever. You're like, I gotta go out and get a thermometer. Right. And you know, um, you graduate from the rectal thermometer when they're a baby up until, you know, the, the thermometer you use in the mouth and things like that. Hopefully don't use the same one. Um, but anyway, <laughs> you know, um, that thermometer is a measure and, um, but we don't regularly take our temperature, right? We, we don't like if we feel hot, if we feel fatigued, we might take our temperature and be like, yeah, the thermometer confirms the fact that you feel hot, that you feel feverish. Right. Um, what we realized is what if we build a site, a website, that with somebody's existing thermometer, they could go to this website and just record their temperature. That's it. Now, the modern web allows you to request the location of the person browsing the site. Yes. Um, the geolocation. And on your phone, you know, it's because you have the GPS built into your phone. If you browse it on your mobile phone, it'll say, can I see your location? You know, Google Maps uses that if you go to the website and stuff and, and other websites do because they're looking for your location. In this case, um, what we decided was we were going to build a service that, that, that asked for your location. You put in your temperature. Um, it asked for two other pieces of information. What's your age range? And the reason and, and we asked for the age range is we talked uh, right after we came up with this idea um, uh, through various means, I was put in touch with one of the leading epidemiology modelers in the world in the United States. So I talked to this woman. All right. Um, he works at a national lab, which I can't name. Um, but I talked to her and her lead software person, and they said, human temperatures, as you get older, the normal resting body temperature adjusts, right? It gets lower. So you know, let's say that, you know, we hear this like 98.7 or 97 or, you know, whatever the, the resting body temperature is. As you get older, you get into like your 60s and 70s, 
your temperature may be, you know, 96, it's lower. Oh. Um, that's your kind of resting body temperature. Well, if your body temperature is 96, what's a low-grade temperature? 99. Oh, right. Right? So if we don't know the age, we don't know whether it's an elevated temperature on average. So we asked for this kind of age range. And the only reason we asked for that age range is, you know, because we're trying to build a site that's not identifying. There's a lot of these efforts that are, we're going to help to spread it. Sorry, not help the spread. We're going to help reduce the spread of COVID. Right. To this, this, and that. And oh, by the way, all you have to give up is all your privacy. It's awesome. Right. right? We, we just need your social, your, uh, mother's maiden name, and then that's it. That's it. Get all your money, your bank account, you know, numbers, your ATM card. Just give us that. Yeah. So, um, and your and your PIN code. So right. the, you know, but they're asking for all this identifying information. We didn't want to do that. We wanted, and by the way, we wanted to build something that worked worldwide. There are places where people do not want to volunteer who they are, but they might volunteer what their temperature is. And so if we could get the geolocation from their browser and they volunteered their temperature from their thermometer and their age range, the only other question we ask is what kind of thermometer is it? Because, you know, one of these forehead thermometers with infrared is different than an oral thermometer is different than an in-ear thermometer or armpit thermometer or rectal thermometer. They all measure your body temperature a little differently. Um, So again, um, you know, an elevated temperature or what would, be perceived as an elevated temperature in the mouth might not be uh, if you did it um, uh, under the armpit, you know, things like that. So they vary. So they said, if you ask that, that would be really super helpful. Um, So those are the only questions we ask. What type of thermometer is it? Um, What's your age range? And you put your temperature in. Super simple. It then geolocates you and it records that temperature. So we call it track my temp because you're trying to track your temp. But there's a reason we call it track and not take my temp, right? I don't want just your temperature right now once. I want you to record your temperature every day. I see. um, For two reasons. For you, you took your temperature every day, you would know whether it spiked. Right. That might be the only symptom you ever had of being COVID positive. Interesting. You may, and and, you know, 85, 90% of the people, that's all they'll ever have. Right. So if you don't measure, you don't know. So kind of selfishly, if you get an elevated temperature, you probably want to physically distance yourself from people, right? Socially distance yourself, right? Um, and, and so, you know, that it's a sign, like it's a sign, it's, it's, a, it's a symptom. And um, so we take it every day. So what we do is on the site, you take it the first time, and what it does is it builds what we call a virtual thermometer. And all that really is, is it's a log, right? But it gives you this unique identifier, which represents you taking your temperature. Not you as a human, but your thermometer, right? It's like a, it's like, think of it as a, a digital copy of your physical thermometer out here. Um, if I could take the reading off your thermometer and magically put it in the, in the cloud, I would. And there's sensor, there's thermometers that do this, but I mean, most of us don't have those, right? right. Um, these smart thermometers, they just have like a regular thermometer. And, um, so we want to give them an ability to do that. And so it create, you can bookmark the page you go to and you can go back to that every day and you can just record your temperature. You can do it as many as once an hour. We don't let you do more than that because we don't want somebody writing some script to say, I'm going to pummel the system with a whole bunch of, you know, we had to think okay. about that. Oh, wow. Um, oh yeah. It's so sad that it has to be thought about. It's, it's going to be a, a cyber attack on something that you're doing, which is obviously positive. 
yeah, oh, well, how about this? Um, we don't want it to be identifying. So to say, see how far we thought about this, and we did, we built this entire thing in two weeks. We launched it. We even formed a nonprofit corporation to hold the data. We're a for-profit company that we're doing logistics stuff and, um, you know, monitoring pharmaceutical products being shipped all over the world. But, but this is about humans recording their temperature into the system to be able to help these these modelers have the right data. So their models were more accurate yeah. <laughs> and we can really find out what this thing is going to look like. Anyway, so we, we, we said, let's, let's build this. Okay. We aren't asking for anything identifying except your location. I, I, so, I did it earlier today and I was, I was shocked how, how fast it was. Cause I, I, I was expecting to maybe fill out a name and an email address and whatnot. So they create a user account or whatnot. And it just said, uh, create virtual thermometer. Here it is, uh, age range. Uh, okay, it's a mouth thermometer. And then you're done. I'm like, oh. And then, and then it bookmarked the page. I can come back to it. I assume the bookmarking of the page is so that you go to the same page. So it's, yeah, it's you, go the to that, you can act to the same thermometer every time. Right. So th- this is what we want to see. We want to see your temperature every day. And then when it goes up, we see the hump, right? Right. So that rise and fall in temperature, that's what if modelers have never had that no epidemiology modeling group has ever had access to data over time they all deal with snapshots they don't you know either you're you have it or you don't either you're in the hospital or you're not they're binary values they don't think of a time stream where a temperature goes up and down so if you could see this kind of rise and fall in temperatures across certain areas, you could, I mean, we have these terms of heat maps, you know, you've heard these things like heat maps on, yeah. which usually are kind of density maps. They, they get red if it's more dense and then blue if it's less dense. Right. This is a true heat map. This is a human temperature map of like, what are humans feeling out there? What is their temperature? And it's something every single person who has a thermometer can do. You don't need anything else. You can use your cell phone with a web or a browser, so a smartphone, or you can use your desktop computer with a browser. As long as you have a browser and a thermometer, you can do this. This will make a difference. The data will make a difference. If you do it once, it will make a difference. If you do it every day, it'll make a different kind of difference. Because even if I, if you did it once and then somebody that lived uh, five blocks away from you did it, and then somebody else did it five blocks away, we're still getting individual temperatures in that area, right? Yeah. Because what we're trying to do is not identify you, it's identify the temperature in an area. Um, so it's like a radar kind of, field. You're just, it just pinging off of everything else. Yeah. And so um, the, the uh, but, but this location stuff, we thought about this early on geolocation you know your phone when it asks for your geolocation it says this site wants to use your geolocation do you want to allow it it's about 35 40 feet accurate right it's pretty accurate right um and um guess what if you live in a rural environment that's identifying oh yeah yeah, that's your house and your neighbors <laughs> live a mile away. Right. Um, and so, you know, <laughs> yeah. Um, so we, we, we thought of that. Um, so when your browser, you can't tell somebody, yeah, you can use my location, but you just can't use it that accurately. 
you can't do that. You either give them a location or you don't. But we took this and we built our own service inside of our service that takes that location, that high resolution location. And we built a database from existing data sets that exist out there called population density data, data tiles. So in a square kilometer, how many people live in that square kilometer? It's the population density. And the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, get back to Bill Gates again, um, funded developing population densities that they use for, you know, hunger and starvation, like various kinds of programs around the world. Um, But it literally, every latitude and longitude, every kilometer square, if you think about square kilometer, they have a density value for that square kilometer. And so within a GPS location, you're inside of one of those. And it's like, how dense is the population there? Hmm. So we take that number and we go, oh, it's uh, the middle of Manhattan. Population density is 25,000 people within a square kilometer. So we, we leave the resolution high because it's not going to identify you. It's going to identify you and probably 400 other people that are near you. So that's yeah. not identifying you, right? Um, but if you live in Kansas, and you did it in a rural area of Kansas, um, we say, oh, the population density is like, you know, 300 people in a square kilometer or, or 10. So we adjust the resolution down. We, we adjust it to be like a kilometer accurate or, 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 or less, right? And at that point, it's not identifying your home. It's not identifying you at all, but it's close enough for the modelers to be able to have that useful for that rural environment. Right. But I, I guess uh, I don't understand why this, this would be an issue for people. Uh, somebody has my location that also has my temperature. Oh no. <laughs> I don't that, How's that a bad thing? What, why, and what could anybody gain from that? Um, so let's, let's talk about what China did with people with high temperatures. Now we're not China. But let's talk about what China did with people with high temperatures. They went to every single home in Wuhan, 11 million people, and measured their temperatures. Oh, right. And they drug them out of their home if they had a temperature and quarantined them from their families. Forcibly. That's how they stopped the virus. Hmm. Now, I'm not saying that the U.S. is going to do that. But this is a global system. Yeah. We're not all here in the United States. And so if there are countries where uh, Mm. you're not really that valuable, and if you're sick, they might just, you know, rather you not be there. So we want to think in terms of that. Like, you've got to think in terms of not just like um, what – we even we even thought of this. How, how's this for crazy? Um, what would happen if somebody pretended to be in an area and said that their temperature was high? It's self-reporting. Oh, oh yeah. My goodness. <laughs> yeah. So you know, um, you know, you're in you're in you're the you're the mayor of uh, of Peru, Nebraska. You know, a little college town in the middle of, of Nebraska called Peru, and. Um, and a foreign government wants to create chaos. 
they make it look like there's an outbreak there. Yeah, or even just a, a frat prank against uh, universities that are battling. Instead of yeah, I mean, mascot, now it's yeah, that, that town has corona. <laughs> I was thinking in terms of like, you know, foreign powers trying to destabilize our country um, because <laughs> – these are all, I mean, as, as much as that sounds crazy, these are things that countries think about right now. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy. So you're building a international data set of, of values, which are driving resource allocation. Think of it that way. Mm-hmm. The federal government, the state governments, the local governments are all, uh, let's say that we were successful and I want to be successful with this. I would like every person that listens to this podcast to go out to trackmytemp.org and measure your temperature every day. It is the least you could do for yourself and your fellow humans on this planet. And um, measure your, that's it. Just do that once a day. It takes, you know, 20 seconds. Um, You can do it on your phone. We even have a way that if you print it, like if you print the page, not just bookmark it, but if you print it, it prints out a QR code. Okay. And if you scan that QR code on your phone, it takes you directly to your thermometer and you can take the temperature. So it's like super simple. Um, And, um, but if this data set is successful, and by the way, by successful, I don't mean every person in the world is doing it. I mean, if, if, if a particular town were to do this, if a mayor stood up and said, we should all do this in this town, it will help that town. This does not have to be global to be successful. Any regional area where enough people measure their temperature this way and record it, those data sets can drive modelers in that area to predict where to apply resources. And what resources do we all need right now more than anything else? Tests. Mm-hmm. They're limited. We can do like 100,000 a day right now. Um, and we have 327 million people and it will take a really long time for us to test everybody. Right? Yeah. Um, and so, you know, and we need new, newer kinds of tests soon, right? These um, um, serology tests, the tests that test whether you had it, test the antibodies in your oh. body to say, yeah, so that's the tests that are coming, right? Um because those tests are the important one. They're not necessary. They're, they're important for this reason. If you had it, you didn't know it, but you had it, you're not going to get it again. You can go to work. Yeah. You're never going to get it. And you will not give it to somebody else. So I, lots I, of- I, I feel that being a weird thing for people to do too, though. Like uh, they, if, if you know you had it and can't get it again, to walk around a little bit more carefree and like, Hey, a little closer to people than, than you're maybe supposed to get to because you yeah, freak them out. You yeah. Know? <laughs> right. We're all going to have to probably have some like, you know, like badge or something that we have on, you know, yeah. the, the, you know, a, a scarlet a on our forehead. For, <laughs> um, but I guess that was a different thing. That was uh, adultery. It'll, it'll be a palm tree. So that'll be, so we know we had the Corona cause that's the logo. Oh, be- yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, it'll be a lime in the top of a bottle. That's <laughs> yes. You can't really do Corona without a lime. No. That's, that's, that's no. a weird business marketing model. That our beer's great if you add other things to it. Why don't you just add that yourselves then? All right. <laughs> yeah. No, the, um, yeah. So, the, um, so, so, you know, we, we built this thing, but we, we, took, we took care of thinking about how the data could be abused and misused. Um, we talked to the modelers that were modeling this. We talked to people in these, 
research labs, the federal labs that we've got that do this kind of stuff. We talk to people at places like Carnegie Mellon, their AI group, um, who are are some of the people that are pulling this data together for modelers, um, trying to massage the data to make sure it's consistent and everything like that, and and using AI to kind of uh, analyze that data ahead of time to make sure it's as clean and good as possible. Um, So we talked to them, and, and they said, you know, we don't want just the geolocation. We want to know what country it's in. We not only want to know what state it's in. And in the U.S., we want to know it's, it's county code because everything is based on county code. We do everything at the county level. Uh, I don't know about you, but my county has a lot of people in it. Yeah. So my county in Northern Virginia, Fairfax County, has a lot of people in it. Um, and uh, so doing things at the county level seems pretty coarse-grained to me. Yeah. You know, I- I'm like, I can get you down to the square block level. And they're like, oh, we would never model that way. And then <laughs> two, two days later, I get this email back. Hey, we have these mayors of specific towns that are asking us for this, like townships. Uh, we do need the geolocation because we're going to need to. And I'm like, oh, good. Yeah, good. I, I'm glad I left those in there. But um, what our site does then is every night, all the temperatures that were taken, it builds a data set by country. And it, and it uploads them to a different section of the site where researchers can download them. And they can do it. We, we developed a process where they can do that automatically. Um, but they can download these data sets, which are all the collected temperatures by country. Because we figure, you know, you're going to focus on one country at a time. Um, you, know, the, uh, you know, the folks in the U.S. are going to be modeling the U.S. People in Canada are going to be doing that. I mean, some groups are going to be modeling multiple countries, but that's fine. Um, so we broke it down by country. and and, the, and anyone can download this. We, we, we made it under the Creative Commons license, which is the most uh, unrestricted license. You can do anything with it. You can do a commercial things with it. You can, like, we're, and we set up this nonprofit to do this because we want this to be freely available. I mean, you are volunteering your temperature, and we want that temperature to be seamlessly brought through the system and made available to people in a form that they can readily use. Um, and, and we, we talked to everybody about what they wanted in that data so that it was in a format that would be very easy for them to integrate into the data that they already had. Um, uh, and like I said, we built all that in two weeks. We, we launched it <laughs> um, of this week. So is, is the, the, the target for the people that are, that will be downloading the data, is, is it researchers? Is it uh, specific types of uh, medical fields? It could be anybody. I mean, you can go download it and, and scan for your, your county if you want. See how many, you know, you, you can look at it yourself. I mean, it's, I want to see how my state's doing. I want to see how my county's doing. I want to see, you know, you can take the geolocations and say, I want to have anybody that's near me. I want to see how many people have elevated temperatures that live near me. Um, okay. I mean, anyone could do that. I mean, you have to be, it's a, it, it comes down as a CSV file. So it's like we brought into Excel and you could just okay. do things. Well, you can plot data in Excel if you want. Like, um, you know, but yeah, I mean, primarily we're ta- targeting researchers. We're targeting people that would take this data and and try and create better models with it um, to be able to better direct resources. But we want to make it so that anyone can use it. I mean, if somebody, you know, came along and said, I'm really good at visualizing this kind of data, go for it. Build the world's best active heat map and you know let's do this like you know i i mean 
I wanted to, you know, I want it to be a, a resource and we want this foundation to not just be about COVID-19. I mean, we're focusing on this, but um, this works for uh, Ebola outbreaks in Africa. This works for Zika outbreaks in Brazil. You know, like one of our, one of our developers um, at our, at our company, CargoSense, um, that's our logistics company. Um, she had, she got Zika this oh. year. Yeah. Wow. And totally kicked her ass. I mean, you know, she, she fought through it. We had to keep her away from working. I mean, she kept trying to work. We're like, but she'd like, she could be awake for a couple hours a day. Like it was real. And she's young. She's and still 20s. trying to work. That's what's that? That's, that's, and still trying to work. We all love what we do. That's, that's a problem. You know, right. it's, we've got a problem. It's not a drinking problem, but, <laughs> but we love what we do. Um, and you know, we're small. We're only 10 people. We're 10 people. So we're like a, we're like a little family. Um, but, um, no, and it's, it's just, it's, you know, but, but that, you know, she had her, she had fever. So we want this resource to be leverageable by, you know, people that are trying to measure the outbreak of disease in Africa or Asia or Europe or the United States or Southern, you know, hemisphere. I mean, wherever these things happen, this is a general resource. It works worldwide. Um, we're gonna uh, we're we're actually doing an accelerated filing of what they call the five hundred one C three status, right? The nonprofit status that makes it tax deductible, you know, with the IRS if you mm-hmm. donate. Um, and uh, there's a a way of filing this. Usually takes about six months. There's a, there's a way of expediting this process. And so the lawyer that we found, who's amazing, um, to form our nonprofit, she did it in two days. She got us a nonprofit formed um, before oh. we launched it. We're, we're launching this site in in four days. We need a nonprofit formed in two. She goes, you got it. Um, <laughs> and she's a total badass of a lawyer. Um, but she um, she formed the company, uh, filed it, and, you know, and, and and we got. I mean, just the bylaws and everything else like that. Um, we formed we formed our you know our directors right. So we had our directors. I'm a director of the nonprofit. Um, uh, you know, my, um, Mark Gardner, um, who's with me at my company is also a director. Um, we, um, have the kind of third director, um, is a, a friend of ours. Her name's Linda. She's a CPA. So she's going to be our treasurer, but she's an amazing like CPA. She's retired right now, but she's like super good with books and everything. Cause we want it to be a, a, a really well-run nonprofit. And then the last two people we got, uh, this one gentleman's name is Wes Wilson, um, was on um, the um, U.S. Counter- t- counterterrorism Task Force, like in, in the National Security Council. Wow. That, was, that was his role. Uh, he's currently at IBM, but he volunteered to be on the board looking at things because, you know, this kind of stuff is destabilizing, right? I mean, as we know, not just economically, but also um, from a, <laughs> a security perspective. And then the last um, board member we got, uh, which we, we haven't, we're, we're going to put out a press release on this one. Um, his name is, um, is uh, Rear Admiral uh, Ken Bernard, Kenneth Bernard, uh, retired. Um, he was with the USPHS. Um, he served in the White House from 2002 to 2005 as a special assistant to Bush um, for Homeland Security. And he was the assistant um, surgeon general. Um, 
uh, for, for the United States. And so he's our, our fifth board member. Um, he's an epidemiologist. He's been advocating for, um, you know, uh, better preparedness for pandemics. Uh, he's one of the voices out there that's been crying for this for a long time and believes in what we're doing. He's like, this can make a difference. And so he agreed to join our nonprofit board uh, to be able to do that. So we will, um, we, we already have companies that are, that are looking to be able to donate to us to make this effort work, um, you know, to, to sponsor us running the service. So this is not something we're just doing now. It's something that this nonprofit is going to be uh, a perpetual thing that we do um, to be able to leverage it. So their use of that proceeds will be not only to promote the service, but to internationalize it. So right now it's in English because we all know English. Um, but we want to be able to internationalize it to, uh, you know, be in every language that people, you know, read. Um, yeah. So that you come at this from uh, Iraq that you can, you can read it um, or Iran or anything else. So being the nonprofit and you, I guess other companies uh, donating is what would help, but is there anything other people can do that would also like to help as far as the funding goes for this? Because you, when you sign up, you're not being, you're not being charged for this. You, no, no, uh, no, temperature, no. it's it's some it's easy for us, but how do we help? Most important thing is spread the word, is word of mouth. That is worth because part of the use of proceeds would be getting the message out. If people would get the message out, like they spread silly internet memes, you know, funny internet memes. You know, how many times have we watched, um, you know, various videos? Yeah. Billions, billions of times. If if we had people spread this word and tell people about it, and um, and you know get people to do it, that is payment enough. the The actual running the way we built the service, it is built to scale. I mean, even though we did it fast, we did it on Google's um, infrastructure that they have for cloud development. It is built to scale. If we had a billion people come and record their temperatures, it would work. Um, and there would be no scaling issue. And that's, that's our background. We know how to do that. And um, so it is built to scale. Like you said, it's really simple to use. We wanted to make it as simple as possible to use. Yeah. Um, but it's all about word of mouth. I mean, the most we would ask everyone to do is tell other people about it and to try and say, this is valuable it's not just a, hey, I'm going to try this. That was neat. Um, taking your temperature every day is probably the best thing you could do for those around you. Think of it that way. Right. And and especially at this time, what else do you have to do? <laughs> You're, everybody's locked at home. This is a simple thing that will take minimal amounts. Of, it's a, it, it, before I knew I was done, it was, I, I honestly yeah. was expecting a lot more. I was like, oh, no, it's over. Cool. I mean, we're not used to taking our temperature when we're healthy, like when we feel healthy. But if you did this every day while we're locked in our homes at like nine o'clock in the morning, set yourself a reminder on your phone, right? Just, just yeah. do it every day and um, you will be making a difference. You absolutely will be making a difference. And the more people around you that do it, the more you're making an impact for your community. So this is why, you know, have people reach out to their community leaders and say, tell people about this, right? So you could... You, you want to talk to the people that people are listening to. And so for, for better or for worse, we're all listening to our, to our, um, our government officials. Uh, cause 
we really don't have anyone else to listen to, right? Um, and everyone fixates on you know what we say at a national level, but our country is not is not constructed that way. Like our 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 um, our model, uh, our great American experiment, right, is fundamentally different than Europe. Um, we have a weak federal government. Um, we have strong state governments. That was the way it was supposed to be. The entire thing was government Government is best when it's closest to those that are being governed. So your, uh, you know, um, mayor in your town or, you know, your even, you know, like at the city level, you know, all the way down to those those people, the closer people are to you, the more in touch they are with what you're dealing with makes sense right like no. if 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 you lived in fairfax i mean my city council people in fairfax are going to be more in touch with me than somebody well i would say in washington washington happens to be 20 minutes away from me right <laughs> uh, washington dc but but still i mean you know the the federal government is not really it's it's really hard to do this kind of top down governance and so we built our system around that and states are closer to what their people need I mean, Cuomo knows New York City and what New Yorkers know or need better than all the Congress people in Congress. It's, right. it's, you know, and, and it's the same in California. And what worked in California may not work in Wyoming. I mean, Wyoming is sparsely populated. They don't have lockdowns. Why? Because they live three, four miles away from yeah. each other. Their way like, of life is already social distancing. <laughs> <laughs> Physically distant. I'm sorry, so physical, distant. right. <laughs> physical. Um, no, but, but their probability of infection is dramatically lower in those areas. So let Wyoming govern Wyoming the way it should. And, and, if, and, and for all the people that are saying the federal government should come down and say, everyone needs to lock down in their home. No one can go to work. Close down the grocery stores. Let's just starve everybody or whatever they're saying. You know, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you know? But they're making these statements that the federal government should come down and, and, and drop the hammer. That's not the United States. We're a United States of America. Yeah. Um, and, and these state governors have, have created laws that actively prevent the federal government from doing this. The state governors have the power in these situations to respond to these situations health emergencies are at the state level. They are not at the federal level. The only job of the Fed is to get resources to the states. That's it. The states deploy those resources, not the federal government. I mean, that the federal government has been able to do things, you know, like the PPP loans, these things that they're doing for small businesses and stuff like that. I mean, that's a way that they could go back through the payroll system, if you will, and pay people, right? Um, that that's a way the Fed can help the economy in general. But when it comes to the disaster response, you know, the, all the Fed can really do is deploy resources. They can send a whole bunch of ventilators. They can send beds. They can send the Army Corps of Engineers to come out and build a hospital or, you know, makeshift hospital out of a convention center like they did in New York and New Jersey. So they can do that kind of stuff. And that's awesome. Um, but it's very different in European countries where they have a super strong federal government and they have very weak local governments. Um, and, and uh, so we're oddly the United States, as much as everyone's harshing on the United States, 
is actually built in a distributed way and distributed systems are more resilient to, to attacks than centralized systems. Um, okay. Because, you know, if you have a centralized system, you just attack the centralized system, the central part. Yeah. And then you have no coordination in our area. Every single governor can, 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 um, can actually govern their, their state and all the way down to the local mayors of these towns and everything like that. And they can coordinate at that, that regional level, that state level, all the way down to these counties and stuff like that. And, you know, various states are going to be better at this than others. Obviously, if you live in a state that's not as good, it sucks. Right. I mean, but you know, it's, it is what that is. Um, but it's better than trying to get the fed to come down and, and just like treat everyone equally because all these different areas are really different. Um, I mean, Alaska is going to be different than Hawaii is going to be different than California. And I mean, heck every, I mean, I grew up in, um, in, uh, well, I was born in Hemet, California, down in Southern California, which okay. is in Riverside. Yeah. And then moved up to the Fresno area. And then ultimately up to the Sierra Nevadas where I went to high school. Um, and I'll tell you what, um, you know, Fresno County is very different than, or, or even being up in, in the mountains there is way different than being in LA. Um, and you know, we, we do uh, so, very weird things in, in the LA area. It's, I, I, I'm not a fan. Uh, I live very close by. I try to avoid LA as much as possible. Uh, but yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, yeah, it's bad vibes. But you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yes, you, you want, you want LA to be able to manage LA. Um, and, and you want, uh, you know, uh, Mariposa County or one of these more rural counties, you know, counties that don't have as dense a population to be able to manage their population in the way that makes sense. And yeah. that's what you need. Um, but <laughs> maybe one day in LA, we'll get that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I know. I know that's <laughs> That's the whole thing. But wait, we're responsible for voting in the people we vote in, right? So ultimately, yeah. it's our fault. Yeah. Um, but no, I, I think that, you know, you know, I, I really do believe that with the human race focused on this problem right now, we've made a, a super uh, amount of advances in technology, both communications technology like this, that we can sit here and, you know, we sit there and we harsh on Zoom for whatever, for privacy reasons, whatever. <laughs> I mean, the fact that we're able to sit here and look at each other, um, you know, having, you know, like literally talk and, and see each other uh, 3,000 miles away from each other. Yeah. And it's just like nothing. It's like, hey, I'm going to call my mom and have a video conference with her, you know, and it's like, it just works. It's, you know, and, uh, you know, it's like you fly in a plane and you're like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to uh, browse the web up here at 30,000 feet. While going like, 500 miles an hour. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so, th- so that, our, we we have we have advanced amazingly in that we're we're doing the same on the bio side and i i think that you know there's enough focus on this that the people that have been been writing about this and talking about this like bill gates um he did an amazing uh ted talk in 2015 on you know the coming pandemic right <laughs> and boy you watch that it's like That's seven minutes it's scary the actual picture he has in there he's like our next attack is not going to come from a nuclear bomb. It's going to come from one of these. It's a freaking coronavirus cell. Right. In 2015. <laughs> like, I'm like, I'm watching this and I'm like, no, you know, um, 
He's a you witch. Know. Burn him. <laughs> Burn him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but um, yeah. So I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm hopeful of this. I mean, I'm, I'm hopeful in the fact that we, you know, if we pull together, we can do this. I mean, we're doing our part at trackmytemp.org. Um, you know, our company, Cargo Sense, which created this, you know, like I said, we're like 10 people. We, our job is to uh, use sensors to monitor pharmaceutical products when they ship around the world to make sure that those pharmaceutical products don't get too hot or too cold and it destroys them. Um, Very so, important. you know, when those vaccines get created, if they, if they freeze, they're inert. They don't work. That's not good for vaccines. Don't. No, no, because vaccines actually have living cells in them, right? They're active, right? So um, they, those vaccines cannot freeze or they die. And, and so, um, you know, the, the, the ability to monitor global pharmaceutical shipments and ensure the quality to deliver of those things, that's what we do for a living. And, um, you know, and, and which is why we thought about the, the, the thermometer and the sensor, you know, as being a sensor and sensor data in, in our world of logistics, the sensor data tells us where products are and what they're experiencing. And this is how, why we translated to this into people. We could get a picture of what's happening with the virus if we had enough sensors that were telling us what was happening. That's what a thermometer is. In, in, your, experience, in, in your experience, uh, is there a, a certain kind of thermometer that works better than the other ones, more accurate? The, the forehead, the, the oral, the armpit? Uh, is there one that, that you would prefer to have more data from? Oral thermometers are honestly, I, the best one is a rectal thermometer. Yay. Um, Fantastic. You know, had to be, right? So um, everyone should run out and get a rectal thermometer. Uh, no, because, because if you think about it, your core temperature, that's a lot closer to your core of your body than, you know, everything else. For better, for worse, right? Okay. That's what it is. Um, you're, then, then I would say rectal, then oral. Okay. And then um, probably under your arm and then your ear and then your forehead. So the forehead thermometers aren't the most accurate because it re it's using infrared. You're measuring the temperature of the skin. Right. And various things could affect that, right? But I mean, if you have it under your tongue and your mouth, it is measuring inside of your body. Yeah. Not the outside. Um, but I will say this. Almost every clinical thermometer that you get is um, about a half a degree accurate, okay. which is honestly super good. Yeah. Uh, there, so like a digital thermometer is really accurate. I mean, you're, you know, you're not going to have it. I mean, the forehead ones, if you don't measure it quite right, it can like read something that's way off. I don't know if you're ever taking your temperature and it's like, uh, my temperature is not 94 degrees or whatever it, you know, it is. <laughs> Um, three and then you know it can't be three <laughs> yeah and then you measure it again so i mean if you take your temperature and it feels a little weird take it twice because it may be that you just had it positioned not well you know just relax take your temperature i would say that the oral thermometers are probably the best i mean you can use whatever you got is better than nothing but here's the other thing because we're measuring temperature over time if you do it every day even if your temperature is off it'll be off consistently Ah, we'll still see the hump, right? So if you're, if set you're a baseline, right? If your forehead thermometer is measuring a temperature or a degree lower than your actual temperature, and it goes up, we'll still see it go up. 
we might not have like the exact temperature of your body, but we see that you have an elevated temperature. And that's really what the modelers need to know. Where are elevated temperatures happening? Because that's probably where disease is happening. And, and is it COVID or is it the flu or is it just an elevated temperature? Do you have a fever from something else? Like we, you know, that's, it's not determinative, but at least is a signal. And what we're trying to do is to get enough, like you said, radar. We want enough of those signals, enough of those pings so that we can paint a picture of what's most likely going on. And then imagine, you know, your, your, your mayor being able to say, we need to target that area with tests. We need to go door to door and knock on the door and say, we would like to test you. Uh, just do random tests in an area where there's elevated temperature. And if you find that those are positive, you've now conclusively measured COVID, right? With these actual tests that they're doing where they're testing for the actual virus DNA in your body. And, um, and instead of it waiting for people to be like, oh my God, I feel like total shit. I need to come in and get a test and you convince people to take a test. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Korea was able to do a, a test of like, I think it was 300,000 people in an order of like weeks. It was an amazing thing, but the entire virus propagation in Korea came from one church. I don't oh, know if you heard that. Story. I am not. So oh, no, there is a church in Korea. Um, I don't remember the exact name of the church, so I'm not going to try and find it, but where all the parishioners sit on the floor, they don't have chairs. And I mean, it is like the congregate, the, the size of this thing is like half a million people. I mean, it is, um, yeah. So, so whatever wow. the, the, this is, but the, um, the, 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 there was a particular woman who came in coming from China and she sat and you're literally touching people next to you. I mean, you're, you're that close. And the leader of that church said, you cannot, so in Asian cultures, it's very common if somebody feels sick to wear a face mask. They wear masks. When you see people wearing masks in Asia, it's because they are sick. Yes. It's not because they're trying to prevent sickness. They're trying to prevent other people from getting sick. I, I appreciate um, that so much. It, it's a nice thing. But now here in America, uh, especially in, in the area where I live, there's, there's a higher Asian population. So I, I, there's seeing a lot of masks everybody's now assuming, oh, they have a mask on, they must be sick, everybody back away. But that's not how things translate over in these parts. No, it's, it's, a, it's a sign of respect of other people, right? Um, if, 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 if I'm sick, it's not like people avoid them. It's just like, they're like, okay, I'm trying not to get you sick by coughing on you or sneezing on you. It's like, thank you. You know, here we're just yes. like, you know, I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, it's like, if you don't like my virus, get out of here, you know? It's, right. Um, but you're standing anyway, too close. <laughs> yeah. My, my side of the subway. Um, but I'm in a market with my cough. Um, so, uh, so what, 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 what South Korea did is this woman came into the service and the pastor basically said, you can't wear face masks because it's an affront to God. Oh yeah. So she came in. Huh. And they were forbidden from wearing face masks. The, the Korean government went in and got the video feed from that service and mapped out, you know, uh, 
contact tracing, right? Literally like watching, like who did she come in contact with and every person she came in contact with and who did they come in contact with? And then they tested the crap out of all those people. And that's how they did it. That's how they arrested the spread of it. Um, I mean, because they were right, they're right there near China and, you know, they, they, um, they experienced a huge amount of loss in SARS with the first SARS virus. They're prepared for this. But man, they came in and seized the video. This was not something that that church wanted to give them. The government came in and took it. And they're even, I believe they were trying to prosecute this pastor for doing this. Um, for like, you know, forbidding them from wearing masks and stuff like that. Like, the, you know, it's just, he, he put his, he put the whole country at risk. Um, yeah. But they were able to arrest this um, by basically contract tracing, you know, where you're tracing who you come in contact with um, really fast. They, they moved super fast, but it was in a very concentrated area. We had people coming in from all over. We're a huge country. Yeah. People don't realize how big the United States is compared to Korea. I mean, you know. Oh, yeah, for sure. We're a huge country. And I mean, even in Europe, I go to Europe a lot, and we're a huge country. This country is huge. It's a very huge country. It's huge. Huge. It's huge. Especially Texas. Everything's bigger there. Um, <laughs> no, but, you know, you've got, you've got uh, you know, if you go to California, we had cases pop up in Washington State and all the things that happened there. And then it was San Francisco. And then it was New York. Um and, you know, then, you know, from there, Jersey, and now we've got Detroit and Michigan, and, and it's kind of spread around, but those were the initial points. And if you look at all those points, they were all international inbound locations, Seattle, San Francisco, um, you know, New York, um, you know, uh, and, and it was, it, it, it's interesting. Like you look at those places that's where all direct inbounds flights come in from overseas. And um, I just read today that they believe that the virus in New York, because they can trace where it came from, the actual DNA of the virus modifies, you know, per person a little bit. And so they can trace like who infects whom. And um, the virus in New York came from Europe. It did not come directly from China. Oh, um, the, the virus in Washington state and San Francisco came from China, which makes sense, right? You don't fly to New York from China. You, 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 that's a long flight. You, yeah. but you, the, you know, the West coast is typically where you fly directly to Asia. Yeah. Um, and, um, but yeah, New York got it from Europe, from Europe. And um, yeah, but I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm like the eternal optimist in all things. Um, I'm not saying that it's not bad and it's not going to, you know, continue to, to get worse. I mean, there's numbers that look like we're kind of plateauing here. Um, I'm hopeful that that's accurate. Um, but, you know, I think that this kind of thing is something that we all have to plan on being around for a while. This is not going to go away. Yeah. I think it's going to become something that we just have to adapt to and live with for, for a time period at least until we can, uh, eventually fully move forward. But until yep. then, it's, it's nice to know that there's, there's things like this that track my temp. It's going to help try to prevent future bigger things. Uh, I don't know what else is on the horizon. I mean, we never saw this coming and then all of a sudden, Hey, this is life now. Uh, yeah. but I think like what you're doing, I think will provide a good service for a lot of people, uh, especially the researchers that are trying to find out all the information they can. And 
we may not realize how valuable this is uh, it, until we, we there's, there's a correlation, I guess. Like well, if this was around before Corona, I think we'd probably be better off, right? Right. But this is what the, the, the research community that I've talked to, the researchers that do this for a living for the last 20 years said, we don't have data like this. If we had data like this, this could fundamentally change the way we model the spread of viruses. That's what I was told. Nice. It's not just theoretical. If everyone participated in this, if the entire population of this country who had thermometers, which I did some math, it's probably around 230 million um, people have access to a thermometer. I mean, not everyone's going to have access to them, but roughly that. Um, And like, if you said that many people have access to a thermometer, if everyone were to take their temperatures every day and record it this way, it would absolutely make a huge impact on their ability to measure where the virus is. It, it would, they wouldn't have to do the math to figure all this crap out. They do really complicated math to try and extrapolate from the little data they've got because they don't have direct measure. Right. Even if we, if, if we measured the, you know, how many COVID tests have we given, you know, maybe a couple million, 200, or 327 million people here. We've, we've hit what? Like a fraction of a percent of the population? Yeah, not, not enough for sure. No, but this, we could hit 60, 70% of the population of this country. Like, think of that. Yeah. I mean, everyone's claiming that they want a test. You have a test in your home. It's your thermometer. Use it. <laughs> Yes, uh, enough of your thoughts and prayers. These are things you can actually do to help. This, this yeah, is... <laughs> you can absolutely, you know what? It's, you can pray while you take your temperature. There you go. Sometimes as, as long as it takes. You put it in, leave it there. You right. For you, 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 you can pray that you don't have a temperature if you'd like. Right. Um, but you can, you can, but it's a nice quiet time. You're not talking. You can, you can meditate, you can pray during that time and you record it into the site. You know, Walmart's going to record the temperatures of every employee that goes into every Walmart every day. Um, in order to go into work, they're going to measure your temperature on the way in. They announced that. 1.5. For, for, for the last two weeks, uh, we walk in the door, we get our temperature taken, but it's the forehead one, uh, and then, then you get a mask and then you get to go to work. Uh, they so, tell you what your temperature is? They do. They, they show it to us. It's in uh, Celsius, which I don't understand because I'm American. Uh, <laughs> oh, by the way, on, on the site, yeah. if you type in that number, it will actually pull up a C. Oh, is that right? It, yeah. So All the right. site automatically goes, we know what human Celsius looks like and human Fahrenheit looks like. You <laughs> just type a number and it will actually do the right thing. Um, so so you're not, you don't mean 36 degrees Fahrenheit. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not possible. Your body's almost frozen. Well, you know, you know my, my, you know my, my significant other does say that I'm frozen and unapproachable, so that makes right. sense. She does say but, I'm full-blooded. Yeah, it's a different yeah, kind of. I'm a lizard. Um, but, uh, but no, I mean, you, you know, the um, if they gave you that number and you had everybody at work have their phone and record it into track my temp, you could do something with that number right there. Well, I, I, I believe they are. Uh, making a list, a chart. They're writing it down somewhere. They're logging it. Yes. But, so if, but if I, I were to give you that log, would that help you at all? 
No, I want I want you to type it into your phone and put it on the site. No, I mean for like company wide, they every 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 employee's temperature is recorded every single day. If I were to give that to you now, um, well, yeah, I mean it would give us. I mean, but what's happening is they're going to probably turn you away if your temperature is high. <laughs> that's true. Right? Yeah, they they, they do yeah. send you home. That, that's that's the that's the policy. I, I would hope so. Um, but um, but yeah, so they they um, so I mean we would have a bunch of low temperatures at your sites. Um, which are fine, but but uh, my point is, if every employee, when they did that, the employee had to track my temp up, and they said that it's it's thirty six, and you type thirty six and record it, you're done. You've just geolocated that temperature, but it's not tied to you, and I don't really want it tied to your company. I don't want to know, right? I just want to know that it's like in this area, these temperatures were taken and they're fine. Oh, yeah. um, plus everybody's commuting from different locations, so that that could. Sure, and that's okay too. The key is there's a whole bunch of people clustered here with these temperatures. So yeah, I mean, people take. I mean, you know, it'd be kind of weird. It'd be like, oh, by the way, here's what the temperature is at Walmart. This <laughs> company, um, and that's okay because you can sit there and go, "Hey, Walmart looks good, right?" Um, I definitely go to Walmart, um, but I don't want to go to this neighborhood over here um, because yeah. it. it it's pretty hot over there. Um, <laughs> That'll become the new uh, Google Maps thing. What's the temperature at Walmart and versus temperature yeah, at Target? Yeah, really, Are we going to show? What does my tent map look like at Walmart today, whether we should go or not? Um, <laughs> all the employees look good. There's a couple of high temperatures there. Yeah. Uh, I think we can go. I think it's statistically okay. It'll become um, the new Megan's Law of like, all right, I'm going to avoid these areas because there's a lot of, I'm getting a lot of pings over here. <laughs> Yeah, it's yeah, it's like the the the, pre, the predator database, but it would right, be, yeah. be um, it would be our our database of of human temperatures. Um, but no, I, I think that um, you know if I mean we are making your biggest difference you can make is is if you need to be at work because like you say you're a critical infrastructure employee we are too. Um, you're going to have to be at work, but if, and you take precautions and that's awesome. Um, but if 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 not and you're at home, this is something you can do. And, and, um, I mean, staying home is the most important thing because it, it slows down the spread of the virus, um, because you're just not in contact with as many people, but if you're, you can also do this thing, um, which is, you know, send a signal out of what your temperatures are. Uh, it will help you to see if you have an elevated temperature and it will help your community to let you know what the community looks like as a whole, um, and we are going to work with some people to build some really awesome heat maps of stuff so that people can see around them and stuff like that. Visualizations. Cause you know, that'll be easy after. Yeah. Um, but we need the data right now. And so we're trying to get the word out. All right. Well, Rich, thanks so much for hanging out and, and talking with us. I do want to check back in with you as, as time goes on to see if, if the, how things are going, because this is an important thing. I'll spread the word as much as I can. And I'll, um, I'll force my friends to also spread the word as much as they can. Uh, yeah. it's, it's a simple thing. And you said earlier, it's literally the least you can do. <laughs> yeah. It's, it it's nothing. It is, it's a drop in the bucket as far as your daily activities. So why the hell not? Right. No, I agree. But I, I really appreciate your time and, uh, you know, hope that, um, um, you, you know, we, and, and like I was interviewed by our local CBS affiliate here in DC yesterday um, you know, we're, we're trying to get that word out, um, you know, reach out to the press and, um, get written up in places. Cause that's, that's what we need. We need that megaphone. Um, 
I, I don't necessarily want the president to say anything because once you do that, half the country will never <laughs> take their temperature. Um, <laughs> but the other half will religiously take their temperature. Right, um, yes. Yeah, really. You know, it's like um, we need a huge database. Um, but <laughs> huge, yeah. hugest of all times. The biggest database, the best temperatures. Um, uh, anyway, uh, but but no, I, I mean, but it really the the most important thing would be to get it to local, state, and local governments. Um, so we're we're making an effort to kind of try and reach out to. Uh, you know, mayors to, to reach out to governors and to let them know that this exists. And, and if they push their people to do it, it can make a big difference. All right. Well, we'll do what we can on this side and push it out as far as we can. And uh, like I said, I would like to check in again in, in maybe a week or a couple of weeks to find out how everything has been going uh, and yeah. see what impact this has been having. But uh, thanks so much for spending time with me. Appreciate it. I had a great time. I appreciate it too. It's okay. Not to